Welcome to the Powered by Age, Age-Friendly City Zoomcast, reality-style podcast. We are movers and shakers, shaking up the old notion of silent, helpless, invisible seniors. This is a new series of podcasts funded by the City of Vancouver and the 411 Senior Center Society. As PBA AFC ambassadors, we raise awareness, share our original stories and poems, inform, advocate, and involve seniors in discussing important social issues. In short, these podcasts will help us, you, in creating an age-friendly city for Vancouver today, tomorrow the world. You can hear us everywhere podcasts are heard. Okay, hello, welcome to Powered by Age, Age-Friendly City. I'm Charlotte Farrell, the host. Today, we are going to have special guest. We have uh, a council woman, uh, Jean Swanson, who's on the line. She's going to be giving a special presentation. And we have uh, later coming to the meeting, uh, Marcy Cohen, and we'll have a little bit more introduction of her. And then we have um, Morgan, Yako, and Kendra. She was in and she went out. Kendra is also one of our special guests and we'll be hearing more about uh, Indigenous Council. It has been a goal of this project um, to have people from different senior centers, as well as people from different organizations, such as the Indigenous Council. So that is going to be uh, one of the things we'll be talking about today. We also will have uh, some information about how this group, as small groups, have got mentors available to help with developing some of the spinoff programs that are coming up, spinoff programs on stories, nutrition, emotional health, etc. So... Uh, let me say that we are very much in gratitude for the support uh, funding from the City of Vancouver and 411 Senior Center, which has made this program possible. And Morgan, uh, would you give an acknowledgement of our presence? Yes, certainly. Um, so I would like to begin this meeting by respect respectfully acknowledging the traditional unceded territories of the Tsleil-Waututh, Musqueam, Squamish, um, also where I am, the Keitsi, Semiamu, and Kwantlen First Nations, uh, the Tawasin, the Kikite, um, and, and, the, um, oh, and, the, and, and the Kwantlen First Nations. Um, and, and that's where, um, and to extend our appreciation to hold a meeting and carry out this work on these shared territories. Thank you. Thank you. And I'd like to always say unseated means it was not given to us. It's still owned by those nations. Okay, so we're just going down um, across my screen. Everybody's gallery view is different, but to my uh, right is Marion. So just a brief, say your first and last name, brief introduction. Marion Pollock, I'm on the 411 Senior Center Board. Uh, Morgan? Uh, my name is Morgan Jacko. I work for Digital Health Circle. I am the Community Engagement and Indigenous um, Relations Specialist. I also am starting an emerging nonprofit with Kendra Crowell um, joining us today as well. Um, that is called the Indigenous Knowledge Keepers and Elders Society. Um, that 
um, has membership that are Indigenous knowledge keeper and elders um, within the Lower Mainland and to promote their health and well-being and um, further their traditional values and, and things of that nature. Okay, um, Penny? Um, I'm Penny Goldsmith. I'm a member of 411 and I'm the Council of Advisors for the Seniors Advocate. Um, Pat? I'm Pat Hogan and I'm, um, well, I've been organizing and an activist for a lot of years, particularly within the women's and the LGBTQ community. And I'm a member of Quirky, which is the Queer Imaging and Writing Collective for Elders. We meet at Britannia or have for the past 14 years. And we've worked and collaborated in theater and writing with um, Youth for a Change, a marginalized group of youth out in Surrey. Gail? Hi, I'm Gail Harwood. I'm a member of 411 Seniors, <clears throat> amongst other things. Um, I uh, um, have an interview uh, with one of my spiritual engineers, which I will be able to present when you want me to. All right. Um, Leslie. Uh, yes, Leslie Hebert. I live in New Westminster. I'm an ESL teacher and a writer. Uh, I belong to Century House and the New Westminster uh, Lawn Bowling Club and the New Westminster Council of Women and the Royal City Literary Arts Society. Okay, Elaine. Uh, my name is Elaine Wu and I'm a writer. Um, I've been writing for about 14 years and um, uh, been published internationally. Welcome. Judith? Hello, I'm Judith Rainey and I'm a member of 411 Senior Center and also the South Bramble Senior Center and I'm looking forward to seeing our guests again. Okay. Um, my name is Emily She, uh, Emily Lujan. My book, I just launched my book in February. Anyway, I uh, I'm a health coach and a life coach in functional medicine. So yeah, I really I mean, care about uh, women's health and I'm the health ambassador and uh, wellness advocate. I know this one lady is a health advocate. Maybe we, I connect with you. I would love it too. Yeah. Hi everyone. Uh, nice to see familiar faces and some new faces. My name is Robin Erickson. I am the program coordinator at CJSF 90.1 FM, which is the campus community radio station at uh, Simon Fraser University. Um, I am a radio maker and um, passionate about stories and uh, bringing people's stories to, to life. Um, one of my passion projects uh, currently on the air is a radio program that I do once a month called Triple Threat Feminist 50-ish and Fabulous, where I talk to uh, women who are over the age of 50 about um, changing the narrative of what it means to, uh, to age as women. And um, I'm here as a resource and a mentor to those of you who are interested in bringing stories to life for this podcast. Okay. And as she says that, that's just um, a reminder to some who may have been getting calls from um, Robin, myself, Adele, that we are around topics that people have said that they were interested in, we're working toward having designated days going into July that 
these things will be uh, presented. And so there will be a mentor working with uh, people who want to do stories. Uh, Pat and Chris have got a group of some from Quirky that want to do stories. Other people have sent emails. So we are working toward that. Um, there is um, a group that is working for a presentation on July 8th on food and nutrition. Uh, so there are other things that as people have designated or indicated that they are interested in topics, we're putting together a small group around that where a designated uh, date will be uh, made for that group to make their presentation. Okay, is there anyone who isn't appearing in my um, screen that, um, that hasn't introduced himself? Luke. Oh, sorry. Kendra hasn't, and she just popped back in here, I believe. Hi, Kendra. My name's Kendra Kroll, and I've been in uh, the Aboriginal community for 30 plus years. And we belong to Ikes. It's a, um, a new society that we're starting up so that we could have a voice for the elders. And I work alongside with Morgan. Okay, thank you. Okay. Uh, at this time, I'd like to introduce Jean Swanson. Jean is a Canadian politician, an anti-poverty activist, and a writer. Uh, she currently represents the left-wing coalition of progressive electors on the Vancouver City Council. And she has had a great dedication to Canada's poorest neighborhoods. Uh, one of her beliefs is that the way to revitalize the community would be to restore the purchasing power to the low-income residents who live there. She's worked on raising welfare rates, ending barriers to getting on welfare, and other issues. So, Jean, welcome. Thank you. Nice to be here. What an amazing group of almost all women, I think, <laughs> naturally. <laughs> okay, Did you ready? want me to... Um, say stuff yes <laughs> or did you want to no you can go ahead give us a background or overview of uh, uh some of the issues that you're involved in yeah like so i i asked uh marion before what kind of issues you were interested in and one one of them she said was housing for seniors so that's a big priority of mine i found out um from the seniors committee that the medium house median household income for seniors in Vancouver is 28,000 a year. Yeah. And um, the definition of social housing in Vancouver only requires that 30% of social housing in a building be affordable mm -hmm. to people earning 30,000 to 80,000. Mm -hmm. So the average senior is actually excluded in some ways or could be excluded from social housing so I've been trying to get that definition changed so that social housing so that lower income people can afford social housing um, it's all I've also learned that um, the market the private market won't build housing for anybody that earns under about 75,000 a year it's just too wow. expensive so um, I'm really pushing to try and get more social housing and to make the social housing that we have more affordable by lower income people. Um, yeah, so that's in terms of new housing. I know there's some 
there's a couple of buildings that are um, going to be demolished that have seniors in them. One is at uh, Rupert and is it, uh, Renfrew and Venables, I think. It's a 64-unit building that's owned by Brightside, which is a nonprofit. And uh, they're going to demolish it and put in a bigger building that has a lot more units in it, but the same number that would be affordable. So in the meantime, while it's being built, all those seniors have to leave a perfectly good building and uh, take up space that people who were homeless can't get. And then the new building gets built. And this is happening at another one of their buildings too. So I'm thinking that we need some sort of policy that we don't start replacing housing until we end homelessness. Um, but anyway, that's one housing one housing issue. Another one is rent evictions and dem evictions. Um, because seniors live in apartments longer than uh, lower income people generally, or longer than younger people generally, their rents are lower because the big chance that landlords get to raise rents is when a tenant leaves. Um, they can raise it as much as they want. So when somebody is uh, rent evicted, or dem evicted, and especially if it's a senior and they have to go someplace else, the rent that they have to pay is sometimes a huge shock because it's so high. Um, when I first got elected, I brought a motion to improve the city's tenant relocation policy, but that ended up not being that much of an improvement. All that happened was the amount that people get when they're rent evicted or dem evicted increased a little bit but they still don't have any affordable places to go to. So right now I'm thinking that we need to do something about this to try and bring some sort of motion to council in the fall that would remedy this situation. Um, the BCGEU and the Vancouver and District Labor Council and the Vancouver Tenants Union are all really uh, strongly wanting protection from rent evictions and dem evictions. And if I was thinking if 411 threw your hat in with them, the four groups could be a really powerful force and we could um, try and get some sort of protection from that. Um, the fate of seniors and SROs was another topic Marian talked about. Um, so SROs, I've been in a lot of them. They're generally in bad shape unless they're gentrified. They have lots of free pets, rats, cockroaches, bed bugs. Um, the, you have to share a washroom. Everybody on the floor has to share a washroom. Some, I have never seen soap in an SRO washroom. And I've been going in them for 40 years. Uh, so they're not good places to live, but until there's, they are kind of the last resort before homelessness. So until we get something better, we have to keep them, do everything we can to keep them. And what's happening is right now is because there's such a tight rental market. As soon as anyone who's a low income person moves out of an SRO, the rent often goes up, often doubles or triples. Like if somebody's paying 400 a month, it can go up to 800. And then if it's renovated a little bit, it can go up to 1,000 or 1,100. So what 
I've been working with the SRO Collaborative and some other groups in the downtown east side trying to get a law that would stop this from happening, which is what we call vacancy control in SROs. It means that when a tenant moves out, the landlord can't raise the rent as much as they want. And we've been, the city has said that we want this, but it's provincial jurisdiction. So the city has asked the province for it and the province has said no. So we desperately need to get vacancy control in the SROs. I think we need it in all apartments, but if we could start with the SROs, that would be good. Because if we don't have it, we're gonna have a lot more homelessness and some of those homeless people are gonna be seniors. And I know uh, I was at 411 the other, well, a while back and Marion said, <laughs> which I can really relate to being since I'm 77, you can't really sleep in a shelter on a mat if you're a senior because you won't be able to get up. <laughs> so anyway, I thought that was pretty good. But but in the meantime, we've got to keep the SROs and try and keep them um, as clean and as maintained as possible. And because of COVID, we've had a little bit of luck there. there we've got some extra money to put extra cleaning into the SROs and actually to bring food to people in the SROs so they can isolate better. Um, another was um, the city's uh, seniors committee. I'm one of the two council liaisons to that committee. And it, are any of you on this, the city's seniors committee? It, it, maybe you could try and get a rep on there um, when they uh, have new people come on. It's actually one of the feistiest city advisory committees. Um, a lot of them are pretty new and they just kind of sit back and don't do much, but the seniors one is always coming forward and telling city council what to do. And it's pretty great. They've had some, they have a great uh, housing subcommittee and they're really pushing for housing that seniors can afford. And they're the ones that found that stat about the household income being 28,000. Jean, when is when is the next uh, turnover or election or whatever or how of the of the committees, the advisory committees? Um, I don't know. I know some of them have vacancies on them, so I think those will probably be filled, but probably not until next year. Yeah. You can go on the city's website and look for advisory committees, and it, I'm sure it says there. Okay. Um, yeah, but it'd be great if 411 had somebody on there. When you mentioned um, it would be good if 411 could throw their support behind, we have uh, members of about three different uh, senior centers. How would that occur through the head of the organization or could are there things that individual members could do? In terms of getting on the city's advisory committee? No, throwing the support behind measures uh, such as the vacancy controls. Oh. Well, you could do that as an organization, you know, a letter from 411 to the Minister of Housing, CC me, mm -hmm. saying, please give us vacancy controls. Um, the Tenants Union is pushing for vacancy control throughout all housing, which I think is good, uh, because that would mean rents could only go up 2% a year, and they couldn't be go up by hundreds of dollars a month whenever anybody leaves. So you could do that and you could get your members to write letters too. Um, if you ever meet with them, 
you could stress to them how important it is. You could try and get meetings with them to stress it. Um, I think you'd be quite influential. Well, Seniors I'll, have a high voting rate. <laughs> what I would suggest is that we have a 411 board meeting on Monday. I'll take it to the board there. People who are on members of other seniors organizations should take it to their board and ask their board to, to write letters. Yeah, that's a great idea. Thanks, Marian. Another suggestion I have is maybe creating um, an online petition where people could just log in and that it could get circulated quite, quite far that way as well. That's a good idea too. And also there's an organization called Acorn Canada that I know does some type of tenant type related items. Um, they might be also a good organization to connect with um, in terms of rallying their members as well for the petition. They, they have 130,000 membership across Canada. I don't know how many are in BC, but they advocate on behalf of low to medium income Canadians. Um, I imagine a large portion of their membership probably are in the um, aging community range, age range. So that in Canada, I can put that in the link in our uh, link in the chat. That would be good. To, eight, one of the main Acorn organizers works closely with the Vancouver Tenants Union, and he <laughs> he's great at doing. He has, a, I think, he has a whole Facebook page or something. It's called Demoviction Memes. Mm. So wow. he's always doing little memes about demo evictions that are pretty hilarious. Jane, are, are you familiar with, um, I'm sure you are familiar with um, the co-op housing that's on leased land, city leased land, which is, I'm in. And what our, our, our co-op and a few others are not, are refusing right now to sign the lease that the, the city wants because what they want to do is up the the lowest income that people can have in order to live in co-ops which would means a lot of people would not be able to live in them and we will be running out of our um, subsidy money when we when our um, um, operating agreement with with CMHC ends which is in a few years and some have already got, gotten past that so I was just wondering what your what your feelings were about that so I met with lots of folks in the co-op. I live in a co-op too, but fortunately, thank God, we own our own land. Yeah, okay. um, but uh, the ones, there's over 40 that have, that are on city lease land. And this was an issue before we were, our council was elected. And the staff keeps kind of coming back with different reports and coming back with different reports. And uh, hopefully it's gonna get settled by the end of the year. There, I think the big issue for them is that they want co-op members who pay less than 30% of their income to pay the 30%. They're not saying, they're saying that everybody who's low income is guaranteed to be able to stay. This is what they're telling us. This is what the staff is telling us. Um, yeah. And that the big issue is that it is city land if they get payment for it, they can use that money to go and buy other land that can be used for more social housing. Um, so I think if the co-ops can make a case that they are providing 
good housing and that they do have low income members, I think uh, you should just stick by that. And I think there would probably be support on council for continuing that. Although you might end up having to pay some kind of lease and the members, the upper income members might end up having to pay more, a bit more. Right. This is what I'm hearing. None of this is carved in stone or anything. Right. Okay, thank you. That's good. Could you comment on the opportunity or openness for uh, people to attend council meetings? So right now they're all virtual, um, but and uh, the technology of it has been um, hit and miss, but it's getting better. Um, so if you want to attend a council meeting, you can in person. Uh, but if you go to the Vancouver.ca meetings website, there is a link there and Actually, the easiest thing to do is listen, is watch, watch it on your computer or listen on your phone. Um, because it's virtual, you won't see the council members because we're still at home. But if there's a presentation, like usually there's PowerPoints from different staff people, you can see those if you have a computer. And if you're signed up to speak, you can do that too. And you can take questions from counselors and answer them. And you can hear everything that all the counselors say. And uh, sometimes there's technical issues. If, if there is, just text me and I'll try and get the staff to deal with it. <laughs> we have technical issues too. <laughs> Yesterday, as you know, transit's an issue for seniors. Yesterday, you, you, you moved a motion at City Council that I would like to hear about it. I would like to hear about it. The other part is, you know, for the BC Low Income Seniors Bus Pass, if you get the GIF, you get the Low Income Seniors Bus Pass. But if you make a dollar more, you know, which is $45 a year, but if you make a dollar more, you have to get the $52 a month bus pass. So do you have any comments on that? Yeah, as I, I used to get that bus pass and it was extremely nice. Um, now I make too much money for it, but that's fine. Although I do think transit should be free for everybody. Um, and the other thing is you have to pay uh, that that 500 and some dollars that the pass is evidently worth, it goes on to your actual income, which is another issue. But of course, transit should be free for seniors. Um, it's a provincial issue. We just got a motion passed last night uh, for the city staff to come back with a plan for free transit for youth and reduced or discounted or no fare for low-income people, which would include seniors, just at a city level. Um, and I'm hoping that if more and more cities jump on this kind of bandwagon, Victoria already has free transit for youth. So the more free we can get, I'm hoping we can bump it up so it hits more and more people. And of course, seniors would be 
a good category to bump it up to so that it was free. It is provincial, so at the city level, all we can do is get the city to advocate for it, or in this case of this motion, to look at sources of city revenue that could, could fund it. But right now, the city is in a huge hole because of COVID. We're like over $100 million short on our budget, so it's really hard to find money for things. Wow. Hi, Jean. Uh, Gail Harwood here. Um, I spent uh, 23 years in the downtown east side, and we bumped into each other over the years. I showed up there in 1990. I remember. I thought you looked familiar. Yeah, yeah. I, I worked at Carnegie for the school board, and uh, then we moved to bigger uh, digs at uh, Powell and Columbia in downtown east education center. But anyway, mm -hmm. nice to see you. So my question is, um, uh, the uh, I know that corporations don't pay taxes, and I wonder. Uh, if uh, our provincial government's pretty good, they can do a lot better. However, um, the money's got to come from someplace, and I'm wondering if we can help the province figure out how to uh, snore for more money out of those uh, empty, house, uh, empty houses, guys. They should raise a tax on them. <laughs> I don't know. Um, were there any um, uh, uh, strategies to uh, help the province figure out uh, where to get the money from to provide uh, free transit, which I'm totally in agreement with? So um, actually it's in the vacant house, the vacant house tax is city jurisdiction. And I tried to make a motion to increase it this year, but it failed. <laughs> um, I think we got $30 million from it last year. So that is mostly going into making low income housing more affordable, which is good. But I agree that it should be higher. Um, I think we need a wealth tax. And uh, one of the things that we proposed in my campaign was the idea of a mansion tax. Mm -hmm. And the way we calculated it, if, you, if we had a tax, it wouldn't kick in unless your mansion was worth $5 million or more. If it was under 5 million, it wouldn't apply. But if it was 5 million, you'd pay an extra 1% on the value, the assessed value of your house. And if it was over 10 million, you'd pay an extra 2%. And we figured with that kind of a tax, which is a, a progressive property tax, basically, we could get enough money to build modular, permanent modular housing for everybody who's homeless within a couple of years. Wow. But I think with COVID now and with governments spending all this money on things like CERB, um, we really need to start pushing for a wealth tax and a higher income tax for people in the upper income brackets, like over 200,000 a year. And if we did that, and a higher income tax for, uh, for corporations and doing things like eliminating the capital gains tax. And if we did that, I think there would be a lot of money for things that we need, like better senior care, free transit, better housing, um, better health care, things like that. Uh, we have a group, but then our group, people who write stories, as you said, push for things. Uh, to what extent do you think people's stories of their experiences with housing would be beneficial to uh, politicians or people who are drafting law or pushing for changes? Um. Stories are good, especially if they're on video. Video stories are good. Um, 
But mostly I think it's the numbers that help. Like a petition, right? Well, not so much a petition, but like right now, I'm getting tons of letters from people that live near Strathcona Park and they're complaining about the tent city there. I'm also getting some that are supporting the tent city and helping out and trying to make it work and bringing food and cooking food for them. But the letters that I'm getting are very effective in, in swaying the counselors to think that they should get rid of that tent encampment. And those letters are, they're short and they're personal and they're not a form letter. Um, so now I'm trying to organize people who support the camp to do the same thing because the letters from the uh, people who don't like the campers are having a huge effect on the other counselors, not on me. But. So yeah, the petitions help a bit. But I think something that's short and individual helps more in terms of writing things. Yeah. It's harder to do. But. Hmm. What would your what would your suggestion be for like say my elders on uh what we can do to help out? In what particular area do you want to help out? with the housing and things like that, like give them a voice. Cause a lot of them are in, fall in that bracket that you're talking about. They all need help with a lot of things, especially with their housing and stuff. Yeah. The ones to push on are the federal government. The feds have been absolutely terrible in terms of actually funding housing for low income people. They say, Oh, we're giving 55 million billion in housing. And then you look carefully and it, oh, it's over 10 years. So that's just five and a half billion a year. And oh, most of it isn't money, it's loans, which means it has to be paid off, which means low income people can't be afford to live in it. And then most of it isn't actually for building housing. And then it just comes so it's hardly anything at all, right? So yeah. if you have an MP, it's really important to get them to, act, to, to understand that we actually need big bucks for housing that low-income people can afford. And the same with Selena Robinson, who's the NDP housing minister. She needs a lot of pressure too. They just bought two hotels in Vancouver, which is less than 200 rooms. I mean, it's good, but it's, we have over 2,000 homeless people. So we need way, way more. And they need a plan to actually wipe out homelessness, which they don't have. Yeah. The 2,000, that's in Vancouver? That doesn't include Surrey? Right. It's just Vancouver, and it's actually more, way more than 2,000. It's probably more like 3,000 or 4,000. Yeah. When yeah. COVID came, it really brought... Up, it really revealed how bad the homelessness is because mm -hmm. people put in no uh, visitor policies in their rooming houses. And so the people that had been sleeping with other people in the escrows had to be put on the street. And, and, what, we, and what we know from this, even from the city of Vancouver stuff, 
is that more and more seniors are homeless. We see that at 411 in information and referral, and, and, and we know it's a fact that the city of Vancouver's own stats show one of the growing population of homelessness, sadly, is seniors. Yeah. Okay, I'd like to acknowledge that Marcy Cohen has joined our meeting, uh, but before switching over to her, uh, <laughs> Judith has had her hand raised to ask something, so I just want to uh, uh, include your <laughs> thank question. Thank you, Charlotte. Um, Jean, I just wanted to say hello again. Uh, we met at hi. The, hi, the Mount Pleasant Neighborhood House and also um, various other functions uh, over the years. And so I'm wondering, you mentioned that um, other members of um, the seniors centers, other senior centers should get involved. It would be good to get involved. And would that be for strategies for um or seniors advice getting it on the seniors advisory committee or in addition to progressive property tax and strategies for um the um sorry um for uh rent eviction and dem eviction <laughs> thank you so I think the most important thing for the senior centers to get involved in is the things that really make a lot of difference to them. Right. So like if you were in the West End in a senior center and your members were being rent evicted and dem evicted, that might be a really good issue for you, right? All right. I'm or, wondering, um, sorry. If you're in the downtown east side, um, the, then sorry, it would make a different. senior centers. So I would have to um, liaise with the 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 head of that um and the other aspect would be to connect with the mount pleasant neighborhood house i think yeah. there would be more traction with the mount pleasant neighborhood house so it's but it's important to push for the issues that are important to the people that are there and to not right. think that and to be feisty about it right and i think oh i have to just keep my mouth shut and be polite and be you know don't the seniors committee at city hall is pretty feisty so it's good to you know believe that you have power and then you will <laughs> right okay hi mercy hi, hi there mercy. nice to see you yes uh, like that last statement <laughs> i want to thank you jean for taking the time to come to our meeting if you have any information that we can share i'll email it out to people because not everyone is able to read the chat but ideas that people have if you send the email to our pba afc a gmail address then i will send it and share it around to others uh, okay thank thanks so much for having me on i've got a leave i've got another call coming but i really uh, enjoyed seeing you all and good thanks, luck Dean. Okay. Thank you so much. Thanks. Bye-bye. Um, Marcy Cohen has been involved in social justice work as a professional and a volunteer for most of her adult life. She has over 35 years of experience working as a health and social policy researcher and educator, and she's done research that's primarily focused on community health restructuring, strategies for improving public health services, and workforce equality issues. Now, 
She's continuing to support the work for the Canadian Center for Policy Alternatives and is a volunteer with many organizations. So welcome, Marcy. Welcome. Thank you, thank you. Uh, what we would like for you to do is maybe just give us a bit of an overview about uh, what you're doing and ways that people might be involved or get their you know, questions or issues uh, resolved or worked through with you. Okay, so mostly related to health and seniors is kind of what I'm going to focus on. And um, so um, I'm involved in a couple of different ways. I'm involved in some in the with Marion actually um, working with other um, community-based senior services across the province to try to get more recognition for the kinds of things that happen at the community level as part of what the health system really needs to do to support seniors to live well in the community. So there's lots of talk in the government circles and, and lots of interest from ordinary seniors that people want to stay in community as long as possible. They want to live in their own homes, in their own communities. But <clears throat> to make that feasible, the supports need to be there. And as I'm sure many of you know, those supports are not there in many cases. And so part of what I've been working on recently is trying to profile the value of the kind of grassroots community-based services um, in supporting seniors' wellness and helping them do taxes, you know, if they're low income so they can get the benefits that they are entitled to in terms of SAFER and GIS, um, bus passes, et cetera, et cetera, um, but also access to other kinds of social support and social connections and um, nutritious meal programs and exercise programs and walking companionship and whole ranges of things. And this sector, although it does so much in terms of outreach, is doesn't have any secure funding, um, just gets funded from grants to grants to grants. And so we've been trying to raise the profile and sort of say, you should be looking at this sector as really not just, you know, a sideline of people playing bingo or something on Saturday, but really fundamental to the health promotion prevention um, activities of keeping seniors living as long as they can in their own homes and community and they should be funded better and supported to help seniors who have higher needs who are living at home who have more mobility issues or you know any kind of other challenges so that's that's one big area that I've been working on and I've been doing that work with United Way and with lots of different organizations across the province that provide these kind of services and other people who are seniors like myself and Marion who um, who are active in the sector. So that's one of the things. Um, and then where I used to work um, was with the Hospital Employees Union um, and, and yes, with the CCPA, but in the Hospital Employees Union, we had lots of members who worked in long-term care facilities and now in assisted living. And so um, had been involved over the years talking about the changes that were introduced, particularly by the Liberal government in the early 2000s to that reduced access to those services and what that means in terms of people ending up in emergency or ending up in hospitals or you know more in crisis because they have lax access to the services they need and um, you know once again with COVID the fact of that and the lack of staffing and you know people working multiple jobs to put a job together all of the issues of that were ignored for so long in terms of what made long-term care and assisted living um, less than great places for people to work in and hence um, not to live in because there's a direct connection between how people are cared for and how workers are supported and in what what 
kind of wages and benefits frontline workers have. So all of that has come to light um, really clearly with COVID and we now have national attention on it. Um, and so there's this attention on long-term care, but many of us wanna make sure that we're not just reimagining that one piece of the system, they're actually thinking about seniors care more generally, right from the things I was describing of the health promotion and prevention, really supporting people's wellness no matter where they are. Even if you have dementia and you're in a long-term care facility, you want some social connection and you want to have services that really help people to stay um, and connect to the things that they can relate to from their past. So. Um, that's kind of the scope of the areas. And so I would say that right now um, we have a lot of opportunity because there's more attention focused on it because of the tragedies that have happened in COVID. And so you have provincial governments and federal governments potentially looking at providing more support, particularly to long-term care. And we'd like to see that be to all senior support and care services. And how do you see people being involved? Um, I think I, I muted everyone just so that there weren't background noises <laughs> while she was talking. Uh, <laughs> and then I stopped. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know I was muted. <laughs> okay. Hmm. So it's did you have a comment? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Sorry. Did you have a, a particular comment? I was just going to say it's interesting what she's talking about because my mom passed in January and she was dealing with a lot of things that uh, I was getting frustrated with when it comes to her being in, in care and stuff like that. So. She's kind of hitting home with me right now on a lot of things she's talking about. And I'm glad it's finally up and, you know, people are noticing that they're making it the big deal now. What about, what about community health centers? Are those, what are they, are they okay for seniors? Yeah, so that's that's an interesting question, Marion. So um, there's a model um, for that's a really, great model that hasn't developed as much in BC as it has in other provinces, but it's clinics like REACH um, Clinic or MidMaine. Um, people might know about either of those, but they're clinics where, and, they're, and, and, and even in those clinics, even in comparison to other provinces are um, not nearly as big or as um, influential as they are. In, so I'm gonna just describe what community health centers are. and so. Um, what they are is where there's actually like where you go to your physician's office, but you actually have a team of healthcare providers. So much a broader team can include nutritionists and counselors and physiotherapists and, you know, a whole range of healthcare providers and then also different kinds of community supports and outreach programs. So, um, you know, I know that the REACH has a program with to support um, local ethnocultural single parents um, from different um communities. Um, lots of them have specific programs to support seniors um, or partnerships with community center with a, with a senior center where maybe the, they go into the senior center and provide some support. So it's much more focused on this kind of prevention and health promotion, um, much broader teams, much more opportunity for 
seniors and other community members have input in terms of how services are delivered. Um, so it's, it's a model that actually began 50 years ago in the early 70s. Um, in Ontario, some of the community health centers have like 180 staff people. They're really big. Maybe 20 of them are traditional clinicians, but a lot of them are people that work with specific communities and do outreach programs and do more of the social supports and the wellness and those kind of, um, and really, really important if you're dealing with vulnerable populations, whether you're talking about racialized communities or LBGDQ communities or seniors, frail seniors or at-risk youth. And a lot of them have services that serve multiple communities and they have special programs for those different communities. So opportunities for them to have times at the center, which um, are really for them, and then opportunities to be on committees and boards with other groups. So it's a wonderful, wonderful model. Lots of evidence that it does really well in helping people, particularly people who are disadvantaged, people who have multiple health problems, and um, you know, lots of evidence they do better, for example, in dealing with people with serious mental health issues. So. Um, it's something that some of us are really advocating for, and we've got some movement by the NDP to establish a few community health centers, but they could be doing a lot more. Mm. I am a, um, a patient of REACH. Uh, and um, <clears throat> yeah, they, they do have the doctor services, the nurse practitioners, uh, they have a dental clinic there. Uh, they also have a multicultural uh, center uh, and a pharmacy. And uh, they have the new uh, urgent uh, care center on the first floor of REACH when you walk in off the drive right next to Sweet Cherubim. And uh, they've done well. I um, went there for COVID testing and it was just, you know, just very nice. And um, <clears throat> one of the nurses came to the door and said, Gail, uh, uh, how long did it take? And were you served well? Like they, you know, and this is gonna work. And, and I know that there's the, um, uh, the care center down in the uh, Mercado on Commercial Drive, Commercial and Gravely, they're pretty good actually. Uh, so clinics like that. Um, but yeah, we, we need more reaches. And, and uh, it's interesting, there's a model put out by the uh, BC Cancer Agency. Uh, and I'm a member of those guys, unfortunately. Uh, but they, and they do a lot. They do a lot for patients. They're, they're incredible. But they, there's also Inspire Health. And Inspire Health is provincially run. They have actual provincial funding. And there's all kinds of services. Um, there, there's uh, meditation groups, there's <laughs> groups, there's um, a counseling that you can get for six times. You can see an oncological GP anytime you want. Um, there's, all, uh, there, there's diet classes, yoga, just fabulous, really good all around healthcare. And they really, really work. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> That's where's great. this Thank located? You. I think it's West Broadway. Pardon? I think it's West Broadway. But Gail, do you know where they are in Vancouver? Uh, which ones are you talking about? Inspire, I think she's talking oh, about. Oh, Inspire Health is on 8th Avenue at um, uh, Hemlock. Uh, so Hemlock? you go down to 8th Avenue and you turn, uh, toward, you turn east and it's just a couple buildings down. Perfect. But Inspire Health is mainly for people with cancer, who's had cancer, as I understand it. I, I go to them. Uh, or yeah. it, it's, it's for cancer patients. Yeah. Yeah. But the idea, I, yeah. but the yeah. idea of it is, is similar to a community health center. So it yeah. really gives you the yeah. picture of what it could look like. Yeah. Nice. Nice. 
So mm. if you are saying, if that's something that people could advocate for, we're looking at kind of the steps beyond what people hear and what can they do next? Are there things people can do individually or through their community center? Uh, any pieces of legislation or activism that you have going that people can you know, get behind? Yeah, so um, I think one of the places to connect with is the BC Health Coalition. Um, they're planning to do a series of three webinars talking about um, seniors care and what the opportunities are now and and then and they also want to do town hall meetings so they're really wanting to organize around this time and the opportunities that creates in terms of um, becoming more active around seniors care issues so i would look at the website for the health coalition consider um, if there's a way to sign up which i think there is as an individual to get information to get information um, and say that you're interested in knowing about um, any any announcements of our of any webinars or any um, activities that are coming up perfect um i was going to ask does anybody have a survey that the elders can um uh, answer questions to like so that you can find out what their needs are in the community um so with yeah with the group that i'm involved with it which i decided with united way with with all the senior centers and those community-based organizations that group does um consultations once a year in 12 different communities around the province where we talk to both seniors and service providers and get ideas about what the issues are and what people want to work on um, yes. but you know i also would say and marion maybe can send this out to you is that Right now, the government has a questionnaire out where they're asking the citizens about what's important to them in terms of economic recovery. And in that survey, it talks about community health centers. There's a one near the end of the survey, there's a, they ask you to take $100 and how you would spend it. And they have community health centers mentioned, which I was really surprised to see, but that's a really good thing. So that's also something that people could fill out. Um, and, um, and there's different places where you can add in things that aren't paid attention to. So you can say, you know, there needs to be more on seniors care or seniors wellness or, you know, more comprehensive understanding of health. All of these kind of inputs that you want to give, that would be a place to do it. And um, Marion, can you take on getting that out to people after this? If you send it to me, then through email, I can send it out to the people within our group. Uh, I'm going to ask both Robin and Adele if you can also make note of things that have been mentioned as resources so that we can put that together in a little news digest that we'll email out to our uh, Yeah, no problem. Sounds people. good. We, my, um, mine and uh, Morgan Society as well has a, a survey that we put together that I'm pretty sure we can share it with all of you. It's got some pretty good questions on there for the elders. I like to see that. Yeah. Morgan, are you there? Yeah, I'll have to just double check. Um, that's a survey that uh, Digital Health Circle, the yeah. organization where I work, um, has put together. But I think we can look at some of the answers from that question um, yeah. or maybe tailor a new survey with some of those questions as well. Yeah. Involved, for sure. Yeah. And, yeah I, I, and that would be wonderful. I'd really like to see that as well. Yeah, it's a really good survey. And the way we see it too is one of the questions on there is uh, we ask the elders how they would resolve the situation so that we can find out through them too as well, right? 
Perfect. Perfect. That would be great. And yeah. I just um, I just opened the um, BC Health Coalition website and right at the top it says if you want to receive information and want to be part of it, you can join up. So if you just, anyone who wants to know about the activities the Health Coalition's doing coming up, just go on the website, the BC Health Coalition, and right at the top you can sign in and you'll get information regularly. Nice Health Coalition. What about um, uh, what I'm interested in too is something to do with Alzheimer's or dementia anything for the uh, elders. Does anybody have any ideas on how we can um, help them out in that respect? Is there any kind of things we can do for them? Um, I, you know, I don't, can't say anything specific. I know that the Alzheimer's Society is doing lots of um, increasingly I think they call it first link which is kind of support groups for families um, of people who have Alzheimer's so, so people can share you know their experiences and and what's challenging and how to how how to talk to people with Alzheimer's in a you know in a, the best way to support them so a lot of kind of guiding and mentoring and and group activities so there's a lot offered through I think it's called the first link program of the Alzheimer's Society okay yeah I we're um... I have some elders that are involved with the, the society, but what I'm looking for is maybe some kind of uh, funding for their partners to help them out. Like, uh -huh. you know what I mean? Because there is yeah. things that they need as well, not just the patient themselves. Right. So you're looking at the support for the caregivers. Yes. Right. Um, super good question. Um, and, and, and really it's kind of some financial support that you're, that people need. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I don't know specifically, there is a, a family caregivers association, a family caregivers of BC. Um, they have, um, they have a hotline, they have a support groups as well. Um, and um, I would ask them about that. Um, okay. And I would also say that you'd be interested in advocacy, you know, any kind of advocacy they would be interested in leading or doing or working on to make okay. that those kind of resources available perfect thank you see in our i have at least 38 elders that we know they're not all involved in any of the societies but we know of them in the community and they all have different things that they need right so i like to know this information so i can pass it on to them because they always ask right <laughs> right yeah, pretty important. And they and that and family caregivers is getting more support and more funding, but um, I'm not sure they're dealing with the issues you're talking about. So that's really interesting, important to hear. Perfect. Thank you. Last year, last in August, when there was a conference on um, aging, Minister Dix announced that there was a billion dollars that the province intended to spend over the next three years around collaborative efforts to. Uh, resolve some of these issues, creative strategies for dealing with people, dealing with caregivers, dealing with people with uh, different capacities, both the strengths that people have as well as the disabilities. I don't know what would have happened, you know, to that money now with uh, extensive money that's come out for COVID related issues, but the United Way was one of the groups that was a sponsor for that conference. Does, 
any of you who work with the United Way know of whether there's still an invitation for grants, collaborative grants between private public sector across different types of agencies? I don't know. Yeah, I don't either. Um, That'd be interesting to find out though. Yeah. And I don't know either, but I would also say, and I'm speaking personally, that I I think that we should finally focus on the public se sector. I you know, I think what we've seen as a result of COVID. Yeah, I just wait for my Sorry. Move back a little bit. Don't lean toward the computer. Okay, sorry. I, 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 I don't know. I was going to say I don't know, but I have uh, some concerns about private-public partnerships. I think that we really need to look at things in the public or the voluntary sector. You know, what we saw, what we saw is this COVID-19 is the worst. The worst outbreaks, uh, you know, especially in BC, but especially in Ontario, are at private care homes, not you know, not public care homes. And I think we really need to push the public sector. But I'll ask, but other people should have comments too. Well, just at that conference, they you know they stress the collaboration. So I mean, it would be good to get if anyone has the handbook from the conference that was held last August. That statement about the money was right in the uh, the inside of the of the program, and it would be good to inquire what's the status of that money. And collaboration could also be between other nonprofits. Yeah, it's it's, it's you know what what you know I do some work with the United Way, and what I find is that government announces the same money several times, and it sounds like a lot more money than what it really is. Mm -hmm. um, so that also has to be looked into. <laughs> Wow. Um, but definitely, I think there is lots of opportunities for nonprofits to collaborate more and for nonprofits to collaborate more with the public system. You know, in the what I've seen is that too much. Well, you can really see it with COVID. Like, lots of times, community health centers. No, no don't mean community health centers. Senior centers, community-based senior services have been ignored. And you know, I've even heard people from who are executive directors of community centers saying senior center saying the health authorities knows we'll look after these vulnerable people we'll look after seniors who are at risk of homelessness and so they don't if they don't know about it they don't have to worry about it so lots of walls in terms of the health authority and then when the crisis happened it was the voluntary sector it was the not-for-profits that they turned to in terms of the ones who could reach out who are the ones who were going to visit you know provide visiting and support and groceries and meals and all of that has been the not-for-profit sector and so i i think again it's really important to emphasize the um who's been there in case of crisis and the importance of the not-for-profit and public sector so i just want to echo what marion was saying there and um, raising that up and partnerships and collaboration super important and but within those areas wow um, collaboration it came to mind i i talked with my friend uh uh, a lot because her husband is in long-term care in a community-run, not-for-profit. Um, it's actually the Louis Breyer Center, and they're and all of their workers are unionized, 
and um, they're not allowed to work at any other center. Um, they get decently paid, and there's no outbreaks, not one case in there. So that's the model. It should be government regulated, these private guys, publicly regulated, and they have to have a community model. I, I just think that we should uh, advocate for that uh, because it's just, I, I, I was horrified at what was especially going on in Quebec. I went, what? And the military, it's amazing that you have to have the military go yeah. in and help. Like, what does that say? It's yeah, I know. It's pretty sad. When you say advocate, again, we have been looking within this group. Uh, one of the goals is not seeing seniors as passive, but uh, having strategy. Someone a few weeks ago asked, you know, from an advocacy standpoint, with, with what can an individual do and then what can we do across the different organizations to work together on whether it's a piece of legislation or a petition? Uh, what are some ways that you see for adding more advocacy around not just letting the attention drop after uh, you know some solutions to, to uh, COVID outbreaks are, are developed? Well I think there's a lot of people thinking the same way you guys are and who don't want to let this drop so I think there are a lot of opportunities and that you know that the health coalition is certainly one of those groups and that's certainly what their webinars are about and then their town hall meetings and they are they do have some demands that they're working on um, you know in terms of what they want to see as priorities and, um, and we want to make sure that it also includes the senior centers and the core funding for senior centers um, so you know there's definitely people moving in that direction so I think sort of staying tuned I think Marion's in touch with a lot of this work um, and um, so that would be one thing I would say and then you know, and I would also encourage you all to fill up that questionnaire about the economic recovery because that's the government has only got that open until July um, 21st. And I th don't think a lot of people know about it. So if you fill that out and get your friends to fill it out and make sure you rate, you know, you talk about where the place where it talks about community health centers, you put in a good amount of money for community health centers and in the place it asks you what what's missing, you raise what your issues are. Um, I think that, you know, if out of this meeting, we can get a hundred people more signing that or filling out that questionnaire based on you and your friends and your colleagues and the people you know. Um, I think that will be, you know, that that those are two good first steps, I think. Could you say again where you would find that survey? Um, Marion will send it out. Okay, perfect. To you and then you guys can send it out. I think also uh, part of the picture can be um, uh, collaborating with the uh, health, uh, especially the health unions and the public service unions. The um, nurses are really active, HEW uh, really active, and all the other, um, the uh, IOEE, the uh, international engineers um, who all work in these facilities. Oh, get a hold of them because they, they, um, yeah, they can really, really help us out. And just to let people know that the Health Coalition is does have a lot of those unions as members and on their steering committee and are funded by a lot of those unions. Um, and so the, and then the Health Coalition is, is governed by a joint steering committee that in, half of which is unions and half of which is community. So yeah, I'm uh, interested to hear about that questionnaire. I'd never heard about it before. And oh. I'd certainly pass that information on to, you know, my contacts. Great. I did put a link to the BC Health Coalition homepage in the chat for anybody who can open the chat. 
it's there. Okay, and then we can take stuff from the chat to put into kind of a summary email is, is to that, send to people. That, I'm sorry, is that in the coalition site, the health coalition site where you find the survey? No, the, the, the cough coalition site is where you hear about the webinars and okay. the town hall meetings that, that they're going to have. And so what, at, the, at the health coalition, you sign up in terms of wanting information from the health coalition. The survey is separate. And Marion will make sure that it gets out to all of you. It's something that government is doing directly yeah, to ask please. for citizens' thoughts. Yeah. So I, two separate things. And I'm not that good at I'm finding it, but if you go to BC Government Economic Recovery, you should be able to find it. But I'll look for it, and I promise I'll send I'll, it. I'll send it to you, Marion, with all the links. Yeah, I'd be really interested to receive that link. Yeah, yeah I will definitely send it. Well, Marcy, I really want to thank you on behalf of everyone for taking time out of your busy day to spend time with us and help us to get a better understanding of the different coalitions, the issues that we can get involved with. Thank you. Thank you. Nice talking to you all. Lovely to be here. Thank you, Marcy. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. And then we have something exciting that's happening um, that um, Morgan might want to share. Our, um, you're having a, a meeting this weekend to teach some elders. What are you teaching them how to do? I think Morgan left. Oh. Okay. <laughs> do you know about the, the meeting that she's doing to uh, teach Zoom, teach a council of elders how to get onto Zoom? Uh, I'm not sure. I did. I think she she hasn't talked to me about that yet, but I'm interested in knowing. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> well, we're gathering this weekend on Sunday. Some of us elders and I are, and Morgan, we're all going to Bear Creek Park and we're going to do a picnic. So that's probably when she's going to do it. Yes, she mentioned Bear Creek. And so I guess she's bringing Zoom to the picnic. <laughs> <laughs> that's totally fine with me. See, that's what we're looking for with our elders is they all have electronics, like the cell phones and the laptops and the tablets, but they don't know how to use them. Mm. And they really need to know how to use them so they can communicate better and be on meetings like this with us. <laughs> so we're trying to educate them on, on their different th uh, things that they have. Yeah, that's really important. I mean, uh, we've discussed this in previous meetings. Oh, you know, make sure that everybody, you know, the older people have the cell phones, make sure they have the tablets. But they've got to know what to do with them. Yeah, yeah. And some of them are hard of hearing. Some of them mm -hmm. are, are hard of seeing. So we're trying to figure out how we can uh, resolve that with them, mm -hmm. right? And memory issues, you know, it's yes. difficult to learn for some of them. Yes, you have to keep repeating it. And mm -hmm. uh, People we have, the people we have teaching the elders, they all, I mean, it's hard as myself as an elder and up and coming one, it's hard to uh, trust somebody else. So mm -hmm. that's what we try to find with people. And Morgan mm -hmm. is one that they trust and myself. <laughs> well, it, that's also one of the, the outcomes for this group, desired outcomes. Uh, this program began in January. We, uh, it was an extension from last year when the 411 Center had a, uh, a podcasting class, and there were about 15 people. And at the end, uh, some episodes and listening sessions were held, but 
because it was an opportunity for people to tell their stories, an opportunity for people to learn another, another level of technology, uh, 411 Center was given a grant and the idea was to teach people who could become peer leaders, like uh, each one teach one. So there have been people within this group that have helped others get onto the phone. There have been people that take, I mean, it takes a while. It took me a while. So it's not that you have to be hard of, of have a memory problem. There are a lot of steps, but that is one of the goals. When we say ambassadors calling uh, this program uh, an opportunity to leap into becoming an ambassador. It's one who not only uh, uses it to tell their own stories and get their issues forward, but to help another senior. It's also been documented by Agewell that loneliness is a major public health problem. And yes. being able to use your phone, being able to connect with uh, platforms such as this is something that can help reduce that. So everybody here is on a mission to, as you learn something, as we welcome new people, to help them get used to using the technology, sharing their stories, getting involved um, with projects. Uh, to make a connection to that, I'd like just Robin and Adele, you got on the line after people that, you know, oh, Robin introduced herself and that she is going to be working with small groups as people have identified things they want to do. Like there's some people that have stories, original stories that they've written. Um, everything can't happen always within this hour. So we're going to have spinoffs where might be people's stories that would be recorded. But people who are working on stories, the particular mentor for my group for them is um, Robin, she, um, the person, there are some people who are doing interviews. There's a thing called lifeline interviews where people find someone that they find interesting. It doesn't have to be someone in the news. It could be a person in their church, in their community, in their neighborhood, or even their family. But uh, we are collecting interviews where we will become a repository of stories. So uh, people that are interested in it, the, the mentor for that group is Adele. And Hi everybody. Hi. Nice to meet you. Hi, Sorry, so I'm, say I'm a couple of words about yourself because uh, we missed you at the beginning. Yeah. Sorry, guys. I was an admit. I my uh, my appointment with my doctor went on longer than I thought it was gonna going to. So I apologize for coming in late. Um, but my name is Abdul. I am a multidisciplinary artist and a filmmaker. Um, I also help Charlotte out. It was sometimes I we was host helping co-host with Charlotte for her radio show. Um, and yeah, I'm really looking forward to working with you guys. I'm, I love getting creative and um, that's my favorite form of expression. So let's do this. I'm also a documentary filmmaker. Um, so I really do enjoy like learning about people's stories and discovering more about them. So I'm happy to be here. And that was something that uh, Jean mentioned. We talked about how might stories help when people are putting together proposals for legislation or funding. So some of the stories can grow into short videos because that's one of the other things that we know persuade people. So there's an interconnection between these parts. We're moving from one level of technology like the phone to the computer to then um, Broadway. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, we're already the sky's the prime limit, time. Right? Yes, the sky is the is lo like the there's no limit. Uh, so at this time, unless anyone has a particular, uh, and Luke, Luke, uh, we moved on to introducing uh, our guest just as uh, Luke was on helping to 
uh, set up our our um, welcoming people in. Luke, say a word so you can uh, people who don't know or haven't seen you can know who you are and what you do. Uh, yeah, my name's Luke. I do uh, tech support with 411, um, helping Charlotte out with Zoom, which is a not the easiest program to figure out as we're learning. Uh, um, yeah, that's about it. Luke also posts our uh, podcast. So could you just say a couple of words too for people who want to know what happens with our podcast? So basically the podcast gets distributed uh, using a platform called anchor.fm. And uh, basically it's a free podcast distribution platform that's owned by Spotify. Um, so Spotify, I'm sure a lot of you have heard of that mostly as a music app, but they're trying to really make a push into podcasting as well. And so one way they're trying to support that is by offering free hosting for podcasts. Um, so yeah, when we publish, when we publish our podcast, it goes on to anchor first and from there it gets disseminated onto Google podcasts, Apple podcasts, um, as well as Spotify. These are kind of the three main, platforms and then youtube for the words only people don't have to worry we're not sending a video to youtube but you could tell a little bit about youtube yeah youtube it's um it's not as easy for it's not as simple to upload the podcast to youtube but there is a way to do it and uh, i do do it just because i know that we have some listeners that like to listen to the podcast on their smart tvs um, and so if they have the YouTube app on their smart TVs, which a lot of people do have, uh, it's pretty easy for them to type in Powered by Age and uh, play the latest episode. Nice. Okay. So, uh, as we said, there is a group, Sylvie has a group, I'm a mentor to the group that's working on food and nutrition, and they're working on a presentation that's going to be our feature on July 8th. So each of the groups that are working with someone, we can start to designate dates for those um, special programs to occur. And Alyssa, anyone has another closing comment or question we'll say now it's the time to say goodbye to all our company <laughs> happy trails um, bye everybody nice to see you take bye. care everybody thank you luke and adele i might need your technical expertise uh with my little uh podcast that i just did this morning so um we'll talk later can i just make Sounds a good. announcement the 411 Senior Center has resumed our income tax clinic for our free income tax clinic for low-income seniors and people with disabilities. If you go to the 411 Senior Center between 10 a.m. and 2 p.m. Monday to Thursday, you'll get somebody will take all your information and then they'll do your income tax and either mail it or email it to you. And this is all free and um, it, we've already had like over 200 seniors come through. Wow. Uh, Marion, do you have to be a Vancouver resident for that? No, you have to be a low income oh, senior. Okay. 
So it would be good for low-income seniors in New West as well then. It's good for any low-income senior. Okay. Um, you know, as long as they don't have employment or rent income, yes, totally. When you say low-income, is there a particular dollar amount? You just self-declare that you're low-income? I think, I think it's 30000 for single, and I cannot remember the family.